Today we're going to pick up in Ephesians where we left off before the Easter season. We couldn't hardly keep going through Ephesians when we come to Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. Wasn't last Sunday awesome? All the water baptisms? That was just phenomenal. I'll mention that in a, a few minutes again in the sermon. And so we're turning your Bibles to the very last chapter of the book of Ephesians. Those of you who are saying, are we ever going to get through this book? You know, we've taken these long six-month breaks. And so we've been in Ephesians over a three, three different calendar years we've been in Ephesians. But it's going to, what did I say? It's like 30-some sermons total only in the whole thing. And so turn to Ephesians, the very last chapter, the sixth chapter we're starting today. And let me, but before we get to that, before we read that, let me put these verses that we're going to read today in context. We talked about this when we right before Easter, but let me remind you. Put it in context of what Paul has been teaching in this section. Remember something in your Bibles. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote this, didn't write chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. This is a letter. So just because it comes to a new chapter doesn't mean it starts a new idea. It's just that how it's been broke down so that you and I can go turn to chapter 6 of Ephesians verses 1 through 4 so that we can all go to the same place. It wasn't written that way. It was written as a letter. And so I want to remind us, if we're a new chapter, we're still in the same thought process from the, from the Apostle Paul. So we learned a few weeks ago that, that the overarching theme of this portion of Ephesians is spirit-filled living. That it started in chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 18. It was kind of the theme verse, the thesis statement. said, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And from that point on then, what the Apostle Paul does is he deals with various relationships showing how spirit-filled Christianity should be lived out and how we should, in, in that life, relate to other people. So he starts off with husbands and wives, and I dealt with part of that, and Pastor Chris dealt with part of that. He starts off with, what's a spirit-filled relationship look like for husbands and wives? Then, today, we're going to look at parents and children. What's a spirit-filled relationship look like for parents and children? And then, what's a, the next week, what's a spirit-filled relationship look like between employers and employees? What's he dealing with? He's dealing with all of the most involved and important relationships that we have in our lives. Our marital relationships, our family relationships with kids, our employment and employer-employee relationships. So what Paul is trying to do here is he's showing us how, as spirit-empowered followers of Jesus, that our relationships are going to look a lot different than the relationships of the people who are not following Jesus. That's what he's trying to get at. And that's what I want you to try to get your mind open to as we go through this. That you're going to bristle about some of the things Paul says. The reason you bristle is because we tend to live in our relationships like everybody else in the world. But Paul's trying to say, listen, if you're a Christ follower filled with the Spirit, your relationships with one another, with husband and wife, with children and parents, with employer employees, it's going to look different because Jesus is going to make a difference. Now, the one major difference that he points out and he then relates to every relationship of a spirit-filled life, the one major difference that he points out is that most people in the world live through power and dominance. And we'll explain that in a minute. But that's how most people in the world live. You can even be a Christian and live through power and dominance. But he's trying to say, hey, Christians fill the spirit should be different that Christians should live by mutual submission. And that's what kind of the overarching theme of this whole section. So see, most people live in the world, even if they're Christians, if they don't know better, they haven't rewritten their narratives to line up with Scripture yet, 
most people live by the model that says this, might makes right. That's really the model of the relationships of everybody in the world. So what happens? The strongest countries dominate the weaker countries. I got a bigger army. I got more money to spend in military. I dominate you. How about the biggest, toughest, tallest kid on the playground generally abuses the smaller and weaker kid. We think about that a lot lately with bullying. You know, so just kind of a way of the world. The generally bigger and stronger man doesn't have to, but can dominate and abuse the generally smaller and weaker woman. And it happens every day. Police are called on it. In Port Washington, they'll get calls today about some man who punched on some lady because she was smaller and he could do it. Um, and all the way back to Paul's original thing of the overarching thing, do not get drunk at wine, usually alcohol is involved. So, just a little side note. Also, the older, bigger, stronger parent can mistreat, neglect, and abuse the smaller, weaker, powerless child. That's just the way of the world. That is the typical way of the world. Might makes right. Or another version of it, and a, and a, and a misuse of God's thinking that the world operates by, is this, they'll call it this, the world's version of the golden rule. What's the golden rule? Do unto others as you'd want them to do unto you. Well, the world has a version of that. You know what the golden rule of the world is? He who has the gold makes the rules. That is the matter of fact. I had a assemblies of God missionary in Cambodia look me in the eye and say, "Listen, Mark, you know the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules." Because we were American missionaries and we had the big checkbooks. And I literally thought, I thought, "Am I hearing this?" Because this guy actually lived like that. He actually believed it. Because that's the thinking of the world. We get we get so influenced by the thinking of the world. Our narratives, you know, get get messed up. And we live by dominance and we live by this idea, I've got the money so I make the rules. But what happens? Along comes this radical named Jesus. And he changes everything. Think of Jesus. Resurrection, it's easy to think about him right after Easter. Here, God himself comes to us. He humbles himself and becomes a man. He limits himself and submits to the oppression of other people. He comes offering love, even to haters. People who hate him, he still loves them. He didn't say, you hate me, so I'm going to treat you the same way. He comes offering love to haters. Jesus never abused anyone. Think of that. He never abused anyone, even though he had the ability, literally, to destroy everyone. He never dominates anyone. He walks in love and gentleness, He walks in compassion. Why? To rescue those who are deceived and lost and hurting. And that's how we think so about mankind. We often want to dominate because they're different and they're wrong. He understands they're wrong and different because they don't understand any better. And friends, that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate about here in this section of Ephesians. That as Christians, we should be different in our relationships with other people. That we should be like Jesus in our relationships. We should serve instead of dominate. We should love instead of abuse. We should give instead of take. So we looked at it a couple weeks ago. So he teaches husbands to love their wives just like Jesus loved the church. Well, how did he love the church? He sacrificed everything for the church and gave himself up for the church. 
And he says that wives, you know what? You should love and honor and even submit to your husbands and follow them as the one who has been given the ultimate responsibility for the family. Now, guess what? The world today, you won't hear that from a feminist. Listen, they won't tell you, ladies, your husband's really ultimate authority. You should, you should follow him when you can. Again, it's a whole sermon on that. I don't mean you should be a doormat. But it's saying in Christian families, there's this, there's this created order and, and that a husband should lovingly skip everything and a wife should say, and I want to follow you. In other words, he says, act the opposite of what usually goes on in families and in other relationships that don't understand the example of Jesus' self-sacrificing love. So that's what we have in this whole section of Ephesians. So now today, we come to a section where he applies it to a different group of people. Today we want to look at how the Apostle Paul applies this idea of mutual love and submission, Christian spirit-filled living in relationships. We want to say, how does that affect parent-child relationships? What does a spirit-filled family look like? How is it to be lived out? So now take your Bible, look at the last chapter of the book of Ephesians, chapter 6 of Ephesians, the first four verses. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children. Any children in here? You're all children. You all have a mom and dad, right? None of you were hatched from an egg. You all are children. This applies to all of us. Some of you are parents. Now this is specifically dealing with parent-child relationships when they're still in the home. Okay? So even though you're all children, a lot of you get the role of parent in this one. Children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for that is right. Now stop for a second. Because a lot of you are going to struggle struggle with this, and I'm not going to deal with this at any any time. It is dealing with parent-child relationships in the home. That when you are married, what's it say you should do? Leave and cleave. So now you have a new home. doesn't mean you still don't honor and obey your... Honor your parents, but that relationship changes because now you create a a new nuclear family. Okay? So this is talking about in the home, young children, growing up, and parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for that is right. Could you stop right there? It's the right thing to do. Verse 2, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it will be well with you and that you may live long in the, on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So, I think how incredibly appropriate. I don't know if God worked it out that we did Ephesians exactly the way timing we did so that we would come to this verse the Sunday after we baptized seven of our kids in church. We baptized nine people. Seven of them were from our kids' ministries in church. Um, Why is that so important today? Because in the big picture, that is what this is all about, what Paul is dealing with. Not baptism in particular, but how do parents parent their children in a way that leads them into a genuine relationship with Jesus where they are maturing in understanding and being transformed in Christ-likeness. What does spirit-filled family living look like? That's the overarching idea here. And how do we represent Jesus to our children and how are our children then to respond to how we represent Jesus? So as we look at what we just read, let's notice first that Paul puts responsibility on both parents and Children. It says children have a responsibility to matter, and so do parents. He actually starts with kids first. And I think this is really important. 
um, for us to, to point this out because both are essential in proper relationships in a Christian home. You see, for great Christ-like family relationships, it requires everyone involved to be spiritually and practically engaged. And there's a reason why I point that out. Because I've seen parents that did their absolute best to raise their children from the Lord for the Lord. And because the child has a free will, and God has given us that ability to say no to him and no to mom and dad and no to anything, because the child has a free will, they choose to not follow Jesus. And it happens. Now, we hope in some time they will return to Christ or come to Christ, but we see it happening. And that has a real effect, a negative effect, on what that relationship can ever be. They can even be a good relationship, but it can never be the spirit-filled relationship that God wants unless everybody's engaged and everybody's a follower of Jesus. And I've seen the opposite. I've seen parents that were totally unengaged with the spiritual and relationship relational needs of their kids. Matter of fact, they ignore their kids and it may be they're even negative towards spiritual things. And somehow those children raise up and come to know and to love Jesus. But understand, we're talking about relationships between people here. So here's the reality. That that relationship will never be what it could be um, because uh, relationships have to be centered on Christ. You see, for us to have great spirit-filled family relationships, it will require the involvement of parents and engagement of parents and children. So now let's look at some of the ways Paul says that a spirit-filled family then, as they engage, lives out this relationship. And he starts with children, and he says that children must learn to obey and honor their parents. Let's think about this. And again, we've got to put it in context, because some of you right now are going, yep, that's right, I'm going to make you obey me, and you've done it. Get my belt out, you're going to obey me, Right? But now let's remember, this is about great relationships based on Jesus' loving example. So understanding that in the relationship, parents and children, children are the ones being taught and nurtured, right? In this relationship, mom and dad are supposed to be the ones who know, and they are teaching and nurturing their children. We that understand that this is about teaching our children what it is to obey and honor through example and instruction that comes from us as parents. Parents help their children learn the value of obedience and honoring others, and that starts by teaching them to obey and honor them at home. Now, this is a great place to give a warning, because you could take that and go, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to make you Obey and honor me. Well, there are, here's the warning. There are no shortcuts to authentic spiritual development and good relationships. No shortcuts. Meaning, this is not, there is not a, not a short or an easy process, and it's not one that can be taught through sheer strength and powerful domination. Remember, Jesus didn't teach that way. He taught through love and patience. He taught through the fruits of the Spirit. And this is the point Paul was making in verse 4. Look at verse 4. What's he say to dads? In this whole idea, he's saying, you're raising kids, you're influencing them, to have spirit-filled families. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, 
Now, he could say mother's in there, but generally in a relationship, the dad tends to be the bigger, stronger, more dominant one, and that kid's going to obey, and I am going to, I'm going to make him obey, and that is that he's, that's what he's referring to here. Fathers provoking your children to anger. He's warning about trying to take the shortcut of forced obedience. Dominating our children by our strength and our wits to simply get them to obey me. The long-term goal is not getting them to obey me. The long-term goal is to teaching them obedience um, and honoring so they'll learn to obey and honor the Lord in all things. You can't do that simply through domination. You can force your children and others to obey you. You can through your strength. You can cause them to obey you through fear. Wait till dad gets home. But you will never get their heart that way. And this is a matter of the heart. They will never, or rather they will obey out of fear, but then they will flee from you the minute they have the chance. They'll eight, turn, turn 18, get in their car, leave, and never come back. That's one option because you try to dominate and force obedience. Or they will obey you out of fear and you can break their spirit. And they will never develop an ability to stand on their own, so they will always be dependent. You've got to tell me what to do. Always. That might work great when they're 8, you think, but it doesn't work good when they're 28. And most likely, what will really happen is they will simply repeat the process. Forcing obedience and by domination upon those who are smaller and weaker than them during their lives the way it was forced upon them. Friends, that's not what God wants for his children. He has something so much better for us in this idea of spirit-filled families. Spirit-filled families filled with love, filled with honor, filled with obedience towards one another, something totally different than the world has. So how do we do that? We do it, we teach children to obey their parents and honor their parents. How? Primarily through example. This is the primary way we do it. I'm not saying there can be no corporal punishment. That's not what I'm dealing with here. I'm saying the primary way that we teach our children to obey and honor is through our example. How? When we, uh, as parents, obey authority and honor our parents and other people in authority, we are teaching our kids what it looks like. So get this. So you teach through how you talk about other people. You teach through how you act towards your boss. How do you act towards that authority figure that is your boss? We're going to talk about that next week. That boss is an authority figure. What do you say about that person? How do you act towards them? You teach them about listening to spiritual authority by how you talk about the pastor. When you leave, you go, that's kind of self-serving. No, it's not. It's for your benefit and your kids. How do you talk about the pastor? How do you talk about the things at church? That'll tell your kids how their attitude should be towards the things at church and the things of spiritual importance. Or about how do you treat your spouse, husband or wife? Do you honor and respect your spouse in front of your kids? Because you're teaching them how you honor and respect and obey. This teaches my child as I do it, um, as I live in these relationships properly, that teaches my children what it looks like to honor and obey other people. If I lovingly obey and honor others, 
then my children will learn to lovingly obey and honor. But if I defy authority, and, and, and we live in a culture that champions defying authority. We live in a culture that makes it seem like a good thing to defy authority. If we, if, if we um, defy authority and then try to force our kids to obey and honor us as parents, you know, all I'll do is confuse them and teach them to obey out of fear, but not to really honor. Because here's what I want you to understand. What we want them to do is to honor. Honor is a matter of the heart. Honor is a matter of respect. Honor is that something that comes from the inside. I give you honor, and because I, I feel I want to honor you, then I will obey the, thing, the person. So honoring and obedience, we want to link those things together. Because I lovingly honor you, I will willingly obey you. That's what we're trying to teach our kids. Because we want them, because I willingly honor you, Father, I will listen to what you say. That's the goal that we want for all of us towards family, but ultimately that's what we want for all of us towards Jesus. So that's the goal we want for our children, starting with their parents. We teach them to honor their parents, and then they will naturally learn, and that's what I can apply to the Lord. Now, let's not make a mistake here and put all this responsibility upon parents and making children simply the product of parental activity. Because you could say, well, look, all you've talked about so far is it starts with kids, but you're saying, but ultimately, parents, in this relationship, you're the teacher, they're the recipient, so it's really all about you anyways, all your responsibility. There is the majority of the responsibility on parents. But no, children, all of you in here who are children who live at home, you have a responsibility in this. You are to obey and honor, honor and obey your parents. And listen to me. All of you, who, who lives at home still? Raise your hand up, let me see you. <laughs> Some of you. <laughs> okay, guess what? Your parents are not perfect. <sighs> oh my goodness, I just... Did you know that? Your parents are not perfect. Your parents don't always make the right choice. A lot of times they don't make the right choice on accident. Sometimes on purpose. But your parents are not perfect. But you will learn that even though they're not perfect... They are your authority figures in your life. And you need to learn to willingly and lovingly submit to what they want in your life at this stage of life. Because it's not about whether or not you get to go out on Friday night with your friends or play your whatever game cube thing. It's not about that. I'm sorry, what are they called? I'm embarrassing my children. It's not about that. It's about your heart. It's about your life. It's not about whether or not you get to do that thing that you're fighting about. And mom, you're wrong. Dad, you're wrong. It's not about that. It's about being shaped and formed. You're learning to willingly and lovingly walk in honor and obedience and submit to that in your life. 
because ultimately God is all um, is is the authority of all of us, and we all need to learn how to lovingly submit to His authority in our lives. And so God gives you parents. God, your father, is never wrong, but He gives you parents to learn what it looks like to walk in honor and obedience. And so you need to learn to submit to that and not buck it all the time. You know, God is all of our authority. We are all have to learn that He is God and we are not. And He is correct. And I always am right and best when I follow Him and His ways. I'm always best off following, honoring, and obeying what God says is right. In fact, that's why in the text we read here, that's why the Apostle Paul ties obedience and honor to the blessings of the Lord. Look what he says that. He says, if you will, if you will honor, honor and obey your parents and you will live long in the land, you'll be blessed. In verses 2 and 3, Paul quotes from the Old Testament, from the Ten Commandments. And he says that honoring parents is literally tied to the blessing of God in our lives. He is showing that living a life of honor and obedience that begins with honoring parents and includes honoring other people, we're going to find out next week, it includes honoring and obeying a boss, and it eventually extends to honoring God, that that is a life of blessing. That if you will walk in that, you will be blessed because you learn how to honor and, and, and obey. You know, you know any people who live their lives just bucking authority? I'm, I, can think of a, I can think of a bunch of people. I can think of a family member who is, uh, and don't try to figure who I'm talking about, um, not my immediate family, not, my, not me and my kids. I'm talking about an extended family member who his entire life has to buck authority in everything. In everything. You know, when he was in prison for years, he would say, those years don't count. Because he's going to, de- he's going to determine that my life, I'm not going to listen to anybody. And I'm thinking, you're shackled. You're in prison. I think you should learn to submit. Nope, I'm going to fight everything. Let me tell you something. In whatever, that's maybe an extreme case. And this guy's been living it this way his entire life. And his life is still a train wreck. But you know what? His life's still a train wreck and he's not learned to listen to anybody. Because I'm the ultimate authority. We're going to find out you're not the ultimate authority when you got handcuffs on. You know what? But you know what? You watch the person with handcuffs on and they're still spewing at people. Because the book of James says you can tame a man but no one can tame the tongue. So they're still saying, I will not submit. Let me tell you something. That is a miserable life. They think they're winning. They're losing. It costs them everything. It can even cost you your freedom to live that way. Say, I have a right. Well, God will give you the right to live your whole life bucking every authority on the planet. But guess what? It's not a blessed life. God wants you to live a blessed life. And He says one of, that, one of those things to have a blessed life is... You learn to honor authority and obey what they say. We've got some of you in here who are business owners. You just say, you know what, if that employee would just learn to do what they're told. Because, you know, as the owner or the boss, you're saying, it's my responsibility. And this has to be good. If they would just learn, but they're going to buck it. They're going to fight you. And what happens? They don't get the promotion. They don't get moved on. They get stuck and they're mad. 
Did I get mad or yet? And so here's the deal. This is what he's talking about. This is real life in the family. Mutual submission. Kids, you learn that you don't, just because, you know what, mom and dad, Brett, Josh, was I ever wrong? A, about a million times. And I've never been afraid to admit that, I don't think. Maybe right at the moment. Um, but, but you're better off as a child. Mom and dads make mistakes, or they might just, you might, you, you know what, they say your brain's not developed until you're 26 to 28 years old. Just maybe they know something that you don't know. Just maybe. They do. You learn to honor that. Respect that. You're going to have a whole life of doing it your own way. But you know what? It's not about just mom and dad. It's the, this is the proving ground. So that you can live the rest of your life. So your employment, we'll talk about it next week, so your employment goes well. Because you're living in that honor relationship, an obedient relationship. But it's more than that. It's so that your walk with God goes well. This is about eternity. This is about living a great, blessed life. So Paul says that a spirit-filled family, I'm going to wrap this up, the spirit-filled family includes mutual submission where parents love their kids and model obedience and honor, including this mom and dad, including you honoring your children. You have to honor your kids. You know, God entrusted them to you. Here's one thing that really changed my life in understanding child rearing. My kids didn't ask to be born. When I learned that, because I was raised in a culture, world thinking, that was this kind of weird thing, like kids come into your life, and your job is just to kick them out of the house when they're 18. That's southeast Wisconsin, baby. That's German southeast Wisconsin. Just get them ready and kick them out of the house when they're 18. Ready or not, there you go. But here's what I learned. They didn't ask to be born. I chose to have children. We chose to do it. That gives me responsibility. And so I not only have the responsibility to train them, I have the responsibility to also honor them as a gift from the Lord. So a Christian family includes this mutual submission where parents love their kids and model honor and obedience including honoring, obedi- honoring their children. Now, maybe obedience is a little different, but honoring their children. And includes children who obey and honor their parents as an entryway into a life of honoring and obeying God and others so that you can all mutually have the blessed life that God says that comes through mutual submission. That makes sense? And listen to me, church. This is a really big deal. This is a really big deal. Because as the family goes, so goes Portview Church. If we don't teach our kids to honor and obey mom and dad, they'll never honor and obey um, the things of the Lord. And we'll never see the Lord use us in the, in the way he intends to use us as a church, as a community. But it's bigger than that. If we don't teach kids to honor and obey mom and dad, they won't honor and obey employees or employers. Oh, they'll be terrible employers. We'll talk about how that's a mutual thing next week. And beyond that, our society as a whole will be a place of everybody saying, well, I'm going to do it my way. Guess what? We're seeing the fruit of that right now in our society. There's pretty much that's what you see. A complete lack of honor and a complete lack of obedience. Just saying, I'm going to do what I want to do. Well, is it working very well? 
it's not working very well. So you know what? I can't change everybody out there, but I can start with me. And I can start with my kids. And I can start influencing my family. And I can start influencing my church. And then it goes and goes and goes and goes. And so this is a really big deal because as goes the family, so goes society. Spirit-filled families that function in mutual submission are God's, is God's idea and God's plan for the world. Places where we lovingly learn to obey and honor, to honor and obey, those who model that towards others and God. That's God's plan. So what's God's plan for a spirit-filled family? That we are people of mutual submission. That mom and dad, you, you teach your kids how to, to honor. And you teach them how? By you honoring and obeying other people. You teach them that. And then they learn that, to honor and obey. And ultimately it's all about learning to honor and obey God. So it's a big deal. Now this is what I know. This topic may have stirred some things up in some of you. It could stir up some things because you uh, think about how you were raised. And you were raised through forced obedience. Shut up and do what I tell you to do. That's also Southeast Wisconsin German way. Just shut up and do what I tell you to do. And you're saying, well, my parents. Well, here's the deal. When people nail Jesus to a cross, this is probably the most influential verse of the entire Bible for me personally. I quote it all the time. Who nailed Jesus to a cross? It was Romans who believed that, that, um, that Caesar was God. So they couldn't be more pagan than that. Inspired by Jews who turned him over um, because they were, because they were um, jealous of Jesus. And they nailed Jesus to a cross. And the most influential verse in the entire Bible for me personally, in relating to other people, is Jesus looked at them and he says to the Father, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That's the reality. They don't know what they're doing. If you will think about that and apply that in your life, when you tend to get mad, very rarely are the things... that There are, there are surely examples. People go and run into the back of your car downtown Milwaukee, get you to get out, and they steal your car. They intended to do that. <laughs> but they ultimately don't really know what they're doing because they don't understand God. But when you think in relationships with people... When, child, the parent, parent, the child, employer, employee, and you look at them and you go and they do something that really wants to make you angry. You say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That that's really a matter of, it's, it's, it's in, set, in essence ignorance. They don't know any better. That'll help you. So you know what? Maybe mom and dad didn't do it perfect for you. Maybe they did it really, really horribly for you. Father, forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. They probably were simply a product of their mom and dad who were a product of their mom and dad. And if you're like a family relationship like me where none of them knew Jesus before, none of them were in relationship with Christ, no believers, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Kids, sometimes mom and dad don't get it right. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Parents, your kid is in that rebellious stage where you just want to 
I'm just going to strangle you if you smart back to me one more time, you know. Um, and none of you know what that's like, right? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Or Suzanne, always, you're alive because of your mother. <laughs> Mark? Mark? You've got to remember, Mark. <laughs> this went on a thousand, I would say a hundred times. A thousand times. Mark? It's about the long-term relationship. Let's remember that, Mark. It's about the long-term relationship. You know, calm down. I'm going to kill him. Calm down. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so, this could have stirred up some stuff inside of you. Because here's what I know. Our relationships are far from perfect. They'll never be perfect. But grace comes in. And a spirit-filled people what spirit fullness is all about. You know, we understand the idea of a little bit about the gifts of the Spirit. And that's important, but that's not the most important. The most important, scripturally, about being Spirit-filled is transformation in Christ-likeness, where the quality and character of Jesus becomes the quality and character of me, where I now feel like Jesus instead of faking like Jesus, where on the inside I actually do love you instead of pretending I love you but really wanting to kill you. You know? Spirit-filled living means grace is extended. It means love is extended. Peace is extended. Joy is extended. That's what it means. That's why Jesus could hang there and say, Father, because He is the Spirit. The Spirit of God was fully embodied in Him. And He could say, Father, forgive me what they're doing. If we'll live our lives that way, it'll work. So moms and dads, we model. We model it towards the people up above us. And we all have somebody above us. You may say, well, I'm the top guy at my, do- at my place. You still have people over you? Try not to pay your taxes. You got nobody over you? Write a letter to the IRS this year, every, anyone, and say, I refuse to pay my taxes. See how it goes for you. You have somebody over you. And ultimately, we all have God over us. So we learn to live in submission. We learn to live in honoring other people. And then, when it's appropriate, obeying. Does it make sense? So it stirred some things up today. Instead of letting that fuel something that you walk out of here with, angry. Instead, bring it to the cross. And offer it up to Jesus today. And say, Jesus, they didn't know any better. Would you work that out inside of my spirit where I feel like Jesus on the inside? I have love on the inside instead of faking it. Lord, I want you to help me release it today. Maybe, maybe what's been stirred up inside of you is you need to apologize. Some of you have family members here. You need to apologize, mom or dad, for being harsh to your children. Do that. It's the greatest example you could ever give to them in what it means to honor and obey. Maybe you need to apologize, kids, to your parents because you've been a rebellious little difficult monster lately. Do that. You will, your mom and dad will fall over dead. But it's honoring to the Lord. So as we wrap up today, if the Lord's Spirit stirred some things up in you, maybe you need to do some business with God because of people who aren't here. You know, a mom and dad, somebody else, and you just, this stirs it up. But maybe there's somebody else in here, a family member that you need to, uh, that you need to go to and you need to just make it right. If that's true, do it today. If you want to pray about this stuff, I'll be up here at the end. Pastor Mitch or Pastor Chris will be up here. We'll pray with you. Um, turn it over to the Lord because this is really important stuff. Let's stand together.
Pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you that you deal in your word with really important stuff. That you deal with the stuff of real life. That this isn't um, just some kind of spiritual ethereal mumbo-jumbo. This is real life. How do I live um, for, for Jesus in a spirit-filled way with Jesus in a world that's completely opposed? How do our families look different than the family down the street? Because of your yeah. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to learn to be people who walk in honor and obedience. Lord, I say this in, in, in the stead of this whole church, in, in place. I say this, God, we welcome your voice into our lives. Thank you.